there are things that I could reveal to you, like news that you could hear, right? Whether it's me revealing it or someone else. There's things I could reveal to you that would affect only you. And then there's things that could be revealed, news that you could hear. I mean, how many of y'all watch the news every day, right? Raise your hand. Watch the centers. Raise your hand. Watch the news every day. Wow. I figured it would be more. Maybe there's some dishonesty in the room. Um, The news, man, we're bombarded with it, and we get things are revealed, and we have to reckon with those things and then make decisions, and some of it affects us, some of it doesn't, some of it affects more people, some less. So there's things that I could reveal to you this morning that might affect just only you, and there are things that I could reveal that would affect you and others. For instance, if I were to reveal to you that you had some sort of a health condition, don't worry, it's not fatal, but if I were to reveal to you that you had some sort of a health condition, that would have an effect on you, right? You would make some changes. It might affect your diet. It might affect what you do, your, your, your schedule. But it wouldn't necessarily affect everything, right? However, if I were to reveal that the Greenville water supply was going to dry up in a week, that would have a further-reaching effect, Right? So depending on what the news is, it has maybe a further reaching effect, affecting one person or affecting many. It wouldn't matter to you only, but also to your neighbors and to every other resident of the city of Greenville. It wouldn't necessarily affect every part of everyone's life, but everyone would have to first reckon with the news and then make a plan, right? That's what we do. We reckon with whatever we hear, whatever was revealed, and we make a plan. What is revealed affects some people in some ways, in some places. Here's my question this morning. The question we're going to try to answer as we look at the text. Is there anything that could be revealed? Is there any news that you could hear this morning that affects everybody in every way, everywhere? Is there anything that that I could speak, that you could hear, that would affect everything about everyone in every place? That's our question for the morning. Look at Romans 1.17. For in it, it is the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is our focus this morning, the righteousness of God. If you're writing notes, taking notes, which everyone should be doing because it's a good thing, write down the righteousness of God. I want us to remember that these verses are connected starting in verse 15. If you go back to 15, we see Paul writing a letter to the church in Rome, and he's writing a letter. So, We're hearing it, he's writing it. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he's eager to preach the gospel. And then it says, for, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All these verses are connected. And what we need to understand this morning is that verses 16 and 17 are the thesis Does everyone remember what a thesis is? Or the thesis, the main point of the entire letter. So if you were writing a paper in college, you would eventually get to your thesis, a main statement that that briefly explains what's going to be developed in the rest of your paper. And so for Paul, 
chapter six, or verses 16 and 17 are the thesis that he will develop over the next 16 chapters. Very important verses. And not only are they important, but they're connected. And we have to see how they're connected. Paul wants to go preach to the church in Rome. A church, people who have been converted, people who know Christ, who are following Christ. He wants to preach to the church in Rome because he's not ashamed of the gospel. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And it's the power of God unto salvation. This is our focus this morning. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. When the righteousness of God is revealed, it affects everything about everyone, everywhere. Nothing is untouched when the righteousness of God is revealed. Nothing remains untouched by this news, by this reality. Our jobs, our families, our country, the law, money, friendships, hobbies, our culture, the past, the present, the future, and all of eternity are all profoundly affected by the righteousness of God. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I'm with you. I agree. What do you mean by righteousness of God? Because that's kind of a, a, a phrase that is fairly abstract and heady. When I say the righteousness of God, you might be thinking, okay, are you talking about like God's righteousness? Are you talking about how he is? Are you talking about his character? Are you talking about like what he does? Are you talking about the decisions that he makes? Are you talking about the righteousness that he gives to us? Are you talking about how he makes us righteous? Are you what, righteousness of God's kind of a big phrase, kind of abstract, kind of heady. So here's my hope for the morning. My hope for this morning is that we would walk away at the end of the morning with two solid handles for the righteousness of God. Picture this sort of nebulous thing called the righteousness of God and two solid handles that we want to walk away with at the end of the morning. Because when something is nebulous and something is abstract, it's slippery, it's evasive, it's hard to measure the effect of it because we can't get our hands on it. But if we have a couple handles, we can get our hands on this utterly important thing that affects everything about everybody in every place. So the goal this morning is to have these two firm handles to hold on to when it comes to what God means when he tells us that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Here's handle number one. Here's handle number one. The righteousness of God is a reality to be reckoned with. The righteousness of God is a reality to be reckoned with. I want you to think of yourselves this morning as though you are those in the church in Rome who were hearing this read, because they didn't, hand, they didn't pass out copies. They would hear it read. And so as they're hearing it read, they're hearing a progression and they hear news, and they have to reckon with that news. As it is read, they would have heard Paul's intro. They would have heard all about the gospel and his plan for the gospel and his identity in the gospel. And then you get to this main point that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And you would be sitting there saying, okay, we have to just reckon with this first. We don't need to jump into, okay, what do I do with this? What do I do about this? We just reckon with it. Handle number one on the righteousness of God. It is a reality to be reckoned with. And so there's a few different realities that make up this reality, this big reality that we reckon with. Reality number one is this. God alone is righteous. God alone is righteous. The gospel is first a message about God. We have to understand this. The starting point is not you. 
The starting point is not me. The starting point is not those who we would say are lost. The starting point is God. Particularly, this is about His character and His action through Jesus Christ. Nothing else can be placed at the heart of the gospel. If we go to share gospel with someone and we don't start with God, we've made a mistake. Nothing else can take that place at the heart of the gospel. At the heart of the gospel is God, not people, not circumstances, not legislation, not social justice. At the heart of the gospel, the news that affects everything about everyone everywhere is God, who alone is perfectly righteous. Psalm 71:19 says, "Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens, the high heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you." Righteousness describes his character, his thoughts, his actions, and his judgments. Everything. The center of the gospel, our God is perfect. Perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. William Campbell emphasizes that the righteousness of God is first and foremost a righteousness that demonstrates God's faithfulness to his righteous nature, his integrity. And there's a word I want us to really grab onto this morning. There's a couple words that I want us to grab onto, and this is one of them. Self-consistency. That's what makes God righteous. He doesn't have to go outside of himself to be made right or to make something right. Within himself, he's perfectly righteous. And so every way that he moves is perfectly righteous. So within God, we have what is called a perfect self-consistency. When you think about God, you, you don't have to think, okay, well, who is he today? How does he feel today? What's going on with God? What does he want from me today? What's he going to want from me tomorrow? Is, is it changing? What's going, is, is God a changing God? Is he, is he hard to, get, to figure out? Well, he's certainly mysterious and beyond our understanding, but it's not because he's always changing. It's because he's perfectly righteous. Perfectly. Self-integrity and self-consistency. And this leads us to the second reality that we have to reckon with. Let's handle. Reckon with the reality of the righteousness of God. First, God is righteous, and as part of his righteousness, he's self-consistent. So the second part of this handle is that all unrighteousness deserves God's wrath. All unrighteousness deserves God's wrath. You might be thinking, what is God's wrath? Is it just when he gets angry? And when he gets angry, is there any rhyme or reason to it? God's wrath is, in fact, very, very specific. Our anger sometimes isn't specific, right? Do you all ever get angry at things and you're just kind of angry and it's just because and... I remember my mom would get angry at us. Uh, my mom was, was a, uh, is an amazing woman. Anytime I say something about my mom, I feel like I should preface it. She is an amazing woman. But would you get that? The, when one of us would do so, I had four. I have, there's four of us, so I had three brothers. And you get that one of us does something wrong, and you get this. And you don't know who's going to get hit in the back seat, you know, because you're getting the, the, all right, be quiet. And we're all, you know, all of us are getting hit because of something someone did. Just kind of this anger that's like, ah, it's too loud back there. God's anger is not random, it is not uh, pointless, it is very particular. This is what we call his wrath. All unrighteousness deserves God's wrath. Because of God's perfect self-consistency, he cannot see unrighteousness or sin and do nothing about it. This is what's revealed in the righteousness of God. If he's perfectly righteous, if he sees anything that's unrighteous, he cannot 
It is impossible for God to see sin, to see unrighteousness, and do nothing about it. The ESV Study Bible calls this the just demand of His holy nature. He has to do something about it. The reality of God's righteousness implies a certain reality about unrighteousness, and it's found in the next verse in Romans 1.18. It says, for, again, this is connected to these verses just as much as they're connected to each other with all these fours. For the wrath of God is towards unrighteousness, towards is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is perfectly righteous, so anything that's unrighteous suppresses truth because it gets in the way of what's true about God. That's why in our house we reiterate to our kids over and over, we are truth speakers. We do not suppress truth because we know that that's the very thing that draws the wrath of God. Unrighteousness and sin deserve one thing, the wrath of God. Unrighteousness and sin deserve one thing, the wrath of God. This means that God's wrath is perfectly holy because it is a flawless response to that which suppresses the truth. Which brings us to reality number three on this first handle that we have to reckon with. You might be thinking, well, I've been unrighteous. I've done things that were wrong. I've suppressed the truth. And that brings us to this reality that if God alone is righteous and all unrighteousness deserves God's wrath, we are altogether unrighteous because we're not God. Paul gives a sobering description of the unrighteous ones in 121, if you want to look down there with me. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And verse 25 says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Think about how that might happen today. What are some ways today that the truth of God might be exchanged for a lie. The righteousness of God might be exchanged for unrighteousness. Chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but I do want you to listen. It gives maybe the clearest statements about our unrighteousness, our unrighteousness, as we sit here together. This is what's true about our unrighteousness. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together, we have become worthless. Worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the case for everyone who is not God. If you are not God this morning, first of all, if you think you are God this morning, stay afterwards, we need to talk about that. But if you're not God this morning, this is your reality, that you've, you've offended a righteous God. He can't turn a blind eye to your sin. He can't just, kind of like a, maybe a grandparent sometimes does, and kind of wink at it like, yeah, I saw that, but we're going to let it slide. He's a righteous God. In Him there is no sin. This is the case for everyone who is not God. If you are not perfectly righteous, this is the category that you fall into. Unrighteous. 
was having lunch with a friend. We were talking about the law and different things. And, and one of the things he stated was, it's not about making sure you don't do anything wrong. When it comes to God's law, it's making sure you do everything absolutely right. And if you don't do everything absolutely perfectly right, not only in form, but in your heart and in your mind and the way you even think about what you're doing, then that's where the flaw is and that's where we're unrighteous. So you can see that it reaches everybody. Sin is your biggest problem. Whether you are unsaved this morning, saved this morning, new to the news of the gospel, or it's old news to you and you've been walking in it for years, sin is your biggest problem. Think about everything that you worry about each day. Is sin something you think about? Is sin something you take into consideration? Because sin is your biggest problem. Everyone needs to be justified before God, yet nobody can justify themselves. And when I say justified before God, I mean put into a right standing before God. You have a holy God, and if we are in his presence, if we can't stand before him in a right presence, in a right holy way, we die. Everyone needs to be justified before God. Nobody can do it themselves because of our unrighteousness. Look at Romans 2.5. Romans 2. Verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you, unrighteous ones, are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we see something that's already been revealed, God's righteousness, right? But what this reveals, shows us, is that something is to be revealed at a later date. And what's going to be revealed at a later date is the thing called God's judgment. God's righteousness has been revealed, and because of his righteousness, God's judgment will one day be revealed. Look at verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking... And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. We are altogether unrighteous, and our sin and our unrighteousness is our biggest problem. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we scrub at it, no matter how hard we try to shake loose of the chains of it, we are slaves to sin. And if we are slaves to sin, that means that we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. That means that the wages of sin is death. So what we earn by sinning, what we earn in our unrighteousness, is death and the wrath of God eternally. This leads us to our fourth and final reality. Remember, we've got this handle. I want to understand righteousness of God because it affects everything about everyone everywhere. First thing is that God alone is righteous. The second thing is that because of that, all unrighteousness deserves God's wrath. The third thing, which should make us be very, very sober, is that we are altogether unrighteous. And the fourth thing on this handle that we want to get a hold of, to avoid wrath, to avoid God's wrath, we need God's righteousness. Nothing else will do. You can't have a form of His righteousness. You can't take a shot at the righteousness, that righteousness that exists before anything else as God, that's the righteousness we have to have in order to avoid God's wrath. Not a form of it, not a shape of it, not a type of it. We have to have God's righteousness 
if we want to avoid God's wrath, I want you to let those four realities sink in. Imagine if that was the end of the sermon. Glad we came here this morning. Imagine if you just had to sit with those four realities and you only had the one handle. Clearly, we're not done. Clearly, we're not yet done with the passage because it's not yet good news, right? I thought the gospel was good news. Thus far, it's been a bit of a wake-up call, sobering reality downer. I thought it was good news. In fact, for those who are unable to justify themselves before God and put themselves in a right standing before God, this would downright be just bad news. I think if this was all there was, Paul would be ashamed of the gospel because what is there to not be ashamed of? We're sinners. God's holy and we're sinners. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. But what we have to remember is that the righteousness of God was also revealed perfectly in the law. We didn't have to get the gospel to understand the perfect righteousness of God. In the law, we have the perfect righteousness of God. But in the gospel, we have the righteousness of God and something else. So there must be something more. If you know there's more treasure, you keep digging, right? Like if you find a little nugget, you're, you're searching for treasure, you find a little nugget. You're like, oh, that's great. You don't just go walk home. You keep digging, right? If you know there's more treasure, you keep digging. And that's what we're going to do this morning. In the Greek, oh man, don't lose, don't, don't walk away. I said the Greek. I'm not going to even share the word. But in the Greek, this phrase, righteousness of God, contains a double meaning. This is why it's important for people to be able to study original language and for people to be able to study what things mean when they were written and, and how we can see double meanings in words. We need smart people like that so that we can go read their notes, right? And so that they can go compile what's called an ESV study Bible, which is a wonderful resource. So what I want to read to you is something from the ESV study Bible because the righteousness of God has this reality. We got to reckon with God's righteousness, but that's not all there is to that phrase. There's more treasure. And as we keep digging, here's what we find. The ESV study Bible explains it most likely means primarily righteousness from God. Now, this is really good news. Like, like, hopefully the best news you'll hear all day. Righteousness from God. So that it denotes a right standing before God, which is a legal reality that is given to people by God. given to unrighteous people by God. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. For in it, God gives unrighteous people the gift of righteousness. God gives guilty people the gift of not guilty. It's an alien righteous. He's reckoning it to you. And that's what he gives us as a gift in the gospel, God gives you His righteousness. There's no better news you'll ever hear. There's nothing you need more than His righteousness. He doesn't give us a form of it, a shape of it, a lesser version of it. In the gospel, God gives us His righteousness. 
So here's our second handle for the morning. The first handle about the righteousness of God is it's a reality that we have to reckon with. The second handle is the righteousness of God is a gift to be received. Is a gift to be received. If you're sitting there going, okay, this is important. How do I get it? What do I do? How, what do I got to do? I'll do anything to have that. <laughs> Receive it. It's a gift. You can't earn it. If you're trying to work to earn it, stop it. If you're trying to work to keep it, stop it. Because the second handle, the reality, the righteousness of God is just a gift to be received. This is so scandalous and so amazing. Remember that scenario I explained at the beginning of the sermon where you hear news and you have to reckon with it and then you make a plan, right? Like the water supply thing, it's a stupid example, but like if you heard that, okay, I hear that, and now we've got to come up with a plan and go buy some bottle of water or something, right? You've got to come up with a plan. Here's what we have here. At the beginning of the sermon, we talked about that. Well, we've reckoned with the righteousness of God, and the plan, we've reckoned with this righteousness of God, and the plan for you, what are we going to do about it? Receive it as a gift. The only way to have God's righteousness is through faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. You receive it by faith in Christ Jesus. Receive it by faith in Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. I want you to turn there. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is still sobering, but it's really good news. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read this. For our sake... The unrighteous ones. For our sake, while we're still unrighteous, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Now, there's a bunch of pronouns up in there, so let me clarify. God made Jesus to be sin, and Jesus knew no sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that... In Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. He made Christ to be sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that as your identity? If, you're, if you have faith in Christ, do you see your identity as we together have become the righteousness of God? In the fullness of time, God sent His Son, Jesus, to earth. Jesus was perfect like His Father. There's not a whole lot of debate on if He was real or not, because lots and lots of people saw Him alive. Lots and lots of people saw Him when He was supposed to be dead. Lots of eyewitness accounts. Jesus was the only one who had the righteousness of God. He fulfilled God's requirement. And he paid the penalty of our sins with his life so that we can stand before a white-hot holy God and live. Not only did Christ die on the cross, but he was buried. And three days later, Jesus Christ vacated the grave and conquered death, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. On this is all of our hope. 
We don't have hope in anything other than what Christ has accomplished, what God has done when he made Jesus Christ to be sin. Do you see? Was Jesus Christ actually a sinner? No. But he called him sin. So that are you actually righteous? No. But so that he could call you righteous. It's an alien righteousness. He's reckoning something about us that's outside of us. We can't earn it on our own. That's why it has to be received as a gift. This is why the rest of the verse says, from faith to faith, the righteous shall live by faith. This is how we receive the gift, by faith. By faith, we begin the journey of faith, and by faith, we continue the journey of faith. We live by faith in Christ Jesus every day. It's not something you need to become a Christian, and then you don't need it anymore. We live by faith in Christ Jesus every day. If you are 75 years into your journey of faith, you are living by faith in Christ Jesus. You don't need him any less today than you did the day you heard about him the first time. We live by faith. We live by faith. One commentator says, this is the glory of the gospel. As it is God's power operative unto salvation. And here's another word that I learned this, this week that I want y'all to, to grab onto. The gospel is God's power operative unto salvation. So it's God's righteousness supervening upon our sin and ruin. God's not simply intervening to give you help. The good news of the gospel is supervening. It's a great word. Write it down. Start using it every day. Because that's what God has done. He hasn't just given you a little help. He's, he hasn't just imparted a little righteousness to you so to get you up the hill. He has imputed righteousness to you. He has counted you as His righteousness. He has supervened upon our sin and ruin. It's good news indeed. Some people feel the need to clean their house before the maid comes. Are you one of those people? I mentioned earlier that I grew up in a house of four boys. We have, I have three brothers, and we're, we were filthy. We were very disgusting individuals. I remember the first time my mom decided, you know what, I can't do this by myself. And uh, she works full-time, my dad worked full-time, and said, we're going to get a maid. So, you know, us four boys, great. Good luck to her, you know, right? And I remember the first thing that we were told when the maid was on the way. Boys, I need y'all to clean the house. Now, that didn't make sense to me then, and it certainly doesn't make sense to me now. Like, why do you clean the house before the maid comes? It makes literally zero sense. I'm not embellishing. That makes no sense at all. Why do you clean the house before the maid comes? As though the maid would enter and say, Ah, yes, I approve. I see you aren't the kind of people who make messes. The reason you have a maid is because you're messy. Right? Some of you are thinking, I wish I had a maid because we are messy. In the same manner... God does not expect us to clean up our own mess and then invite him in. As though God would come into our lives and say, yes, I approve. You've taken care of your messy life, and now I'm willing to be a part of it. No. We need God because we've made a mess that we cannot clean up ourselves. If you're offended by that little illustration, like comparing God to a maid... 
Did, did the pastor just compare God to a maid? Just cleaning up our messes? There is a difference. You can pay the maid back. You can't pay God back. Whatever a maid might clean up is a smaller mess than the mess you have because of unrighteousness and sin. And he gave his son to do it. Romans 4, 5 says that God justifies the ungodly. Just sit with that for a minute. He doesn't justify the godly. He doesn't take the godly and give them a right standing before God, before himself. He doesn't say, here, godly, here's my righteousness because the godly wouldn't need it, right? He justifies the ungodly. Not the godly. This means that the moment he reckons you righteous, you're still ungodly. Just marvel at the beauty of the gospel for a moment. When the righteousness of God is revealed and he reckons you righteous, you're still ungodly. You haven't cleaned up any of your messes. But he counts you godly. You haven't cleaned up your life, but he counts it perfect like Christ's. In fact, you haven't made any changes at all. What you do is receive the free gift. That's the gospel. We have no application points this morning. Receive the gift. The righteousness of God affects everything about everyone, everywhere. If you have never received this gift, receive it today. Our church isn't really known for having altar calls and playing a song and letting there be like 27 verses so maybe God would bring someone down the aisle. I'm tempted to do it this morning because you just heard the gospel. If you've never received this gift, there's no other gift that's greater. I could have a pile of money and diamonds here and offer it to you and it would be scubula is what the original word is. Worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. If you do not know him, receive the gift today. And what do you have to do to receive it? Just receive it. You don't got to do anything. By faith in Christ, you receive the gift. And if you have this gift, cherish it today and forever and continue to live by faith. Let's pray.